Oh yeah. Hot mics. Whoa. That is loud. Is yours really loud? Yeah, my. I can turn it down. Hold on. Is that better? Is this better or worse? It didn't change at all. Is this not you? Which one know. are you? Oh, oh, is this one you? Hold on. Oh yeah. Oh, oh okay. Much better. There we go. You were all the way. You were all the way over. That's Woo. why. We were loud. <laughs> hey everyone, and welcome to What's Up With Money, an ongoing conversation to help make sense of today's financial confusion. I'm Ryan, a writer and millennial who's asking the questions. I'm Ronald, philosopher and financial advisor who's giving the answers. From outdated 1980s financial advice to magic social media strategies, we aim to shine a light on what's really helpful, lessen financial anxiety, and better understand money. Thanks for joining our conversation as we ask, what's What's up up with with money? For this episode, you wanted to get into discussing life insurance. Yeah. And it's our last Star Wars themed title episode. Yes, it is. So one of the things that is all over social media is the idea of being your own banker. Right. And you've probably seen it. We've talked about it. Yeah. It's a real, it's a real thing. (laughs) It's a real concept, but you can't learn about it in 30 seconds. Right. Or 20 seconds of someone saying like, be your own banker, buy a life insurance policy and then use that for everything. So there's a lot more to it. Mm Mm-hmm. We've talked about it. It's a little bit more complicated. Yes, it's it's taken me a while to kind of wrap my head around what exactly they mean by being your own banker. Because at first, you know, based on how you're taught to do your personal finances, the what they're talking about doesn't fully make sense at first to you. No. It's not until you kind of dive more into it and read about it and talk about it, does it start to kind of click in your brain? Yeah, and one of the things that we had talked about for this one is just sort of understanding some of the differences, like initial, like, high-level differences of, you know, there's term insurance, Mm -hmm. which is not permanent, and then, you know, it's designed to end at a certain time. Right. And if you die in that time, great. You you know, you get the death benefit. And then if you have permanent life insurance, Mm -hmm. and that's where things start to get... Real interesting, right? Because there's many different types. There's different things that go on there. They all have different functions and things like that, and it can get really confusing. Sure, and that's where you know where term is very much basic in in its structure. You know, the other stuff gets real customized and real wild in the different ways you can build and construct different things. So. Yeah. So when people are talking about being their own banker in terms of using life insurance, they're not talking about term. No, because you can't, term has what's known as, it's called cash value, but term has zero cash value component to it. And that's why oftentimes it's, it seems like it's less expensive Mm -hmm. or like your premium payment for term is, is quote unquote cheap. Right. And so that's where, because there's no cash value growth. There's no, there's no other mechanics going on other than an exchange of money mm-hmm. for a death benefit within a certain time period. Sure. Is the only thing kind of going on in there. There's some different like little add on things you can do like to, you know, for extra benefits if you, if you want, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it, there's, you know, there's no cash, there's no, you know, it's, it's designed to stop 
and then statistically like two percent of those ever pay out right so it's like a protection in the background in case in case something happens okay and so when everyone's talking about being their own banker then it's all about that that whole life insurance now well that's one oh <laughs> there's many different that's where it starts to get interesting oh, okay because then you know you've got whole life insurance the big one that's all over right now is called IUL, which is indexed universal life. Then you've got okay. universal life. Then you've got variable universal life, and they all function very, very different. Oh man! And so, and then this is where it starts to get really interesting for people because people think of these different life insurance products kind of like that—that that they're all the same. That yes, you go to company A and you buy it. You go to company B and you buy it. They're yep. you're buying the exact same thing, but right. that's not at all. Well, <laughs> the name might be similar, but the and sort but of the, the product is different. The product is completely different. Well, this is what my next question was going to be: is that when someone says, "Do you want to buy some life insurance?" I, th I think you know all I used to think was like, "Oh, this is something I'm buying in case I die." Then whoever I you know, designate as my benefactor will then have money to deal with, you know, the, 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 you know, the death stuff that happens, yeah. funerals and whatnot. Yeah. And so that's what I think everyone, you know, most individuals think about when they think of life insurance, that's, that's all it does is yeah. that it gives you a benefit when you die. Yeah. And so in general terms, you just talk about how there's a plethora of different life insurance products. How does and carriers and, and carriers. <laughs> let's just, let's just try to like distill it as we begin the discussion here. So how exactly does life insurance work as to help you be your own banker? Yeah. That has to do with the, the aspect that contractually permanent life insurance policies have a cash value and a cash accumulation portion to them. And okay. so in that sense, you can liken them much more to something where you're depositing cash, whether that's an investment, whether that's something that is earmarked against, you know, the S and P 500 or whether that's something that just works like a high yield savings account. Mm -hmm. That's where, that's where when you start putting money in or funding, these mm -hmm. types of these types of things, you'll see your cash getting some sort of return or some sort of growth aspect to it that you then can use while you're alive. Okay, and this, is this why term does not have a cash value because you're not depositing money into anything? You're just paying for the policy. You're just paying for the policy. Yeah. Okay. So you're paying, and that's known as like cost of insurance, and you know for term. Part of why it's inexpensive is because insurance companies hardly ever have to pay that out. Mm. So if, if you know, whereas on the permanent side, there's much more going on because you're going to die. <laughs> right. And so it's essentially a guaranteed thing for your life that, you know, you're, you're sort of using the life insurance company in exchange for this guaranteed permanent death benefit out okay. there in the future that, you know, depending on your, you know, the contract and things like that, that's where, that's where it's much more sophisticated. A lot more is actually happening on that side of things than 
just, you know, like you go online and someone's saying, oh, you can get a million dollars for 10 bucks a month if you, you know, and we'll, we'll approve you like in minutes. Sure. And certainly why they can do that is because there's on, on their side, the risk aspect of the likelihood of paying that out is not high. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty safe bet. Okay. But it's also where like the way all insurance works, whether it's health insurance, auto insurance, homeowners insurance is the idea that when you pool resources, you can cover more liabilities. Mm-hmm. So when everybody is contributing to, you know, life insurance company to pay death benefits, you know, the idea is that not all of those are going to pay out in time, but when they do, you're really glad. Or right. like homeowners insurance, every not many homes burn down, but if it does, we've all pooled so that each of us can get that back car insurance is sure. the same way it's less about like the replacing the car mm-hmm. as it is the medical side of of what can happen in an accident and right. so health insurance is the same if you were to try and do your health insurance mm-hmm. all by yourself with no insurance <laughs> crap ton of money right uh, so you know but when you have insurance you're paying money in exchange for the pooled resourcing that mm-hmm. then will be able to actually provide you better benefit than if you were to try and do it on your own for those those types of things. So. Sure. But for permanent life, there is the cost of the insurance, but then there's also more that you're doing. You're not just paying for the insurance. Yeah. It sounds like you're 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 also putting money into something that can then, you know, use it as a tool to grow. Yeah. And your- that's where that's where when you think of banking, you're thinking of a place to deposit money mm-hmm. that then you can access to use. <laughs> right. And so when most banks sort of take the banking function for all of us as individuals, that's what we all learn. That's, that's how we're taught, you know, right. You deposit the money there and then it's there when you need it. Yeah. And so what, what the be your own banker situation is, is really looking at like, okay, what if you didn't use a bank for your cash? Mm-hmm. What if you used this other thing and you took the banking function on yourself? Right. And so instead of going to a bank to borrow money, you borrow money from your own account. And then there's some mechanics in there that, you know, there's different tax things and different ways that these different things work that can provide, if they're done right, can provide some really interesting advantages, Mm -hmm. tax-free growth. Sometimes it's market growth. Sometimes it's guaranteed growth. Mm -hmm. And so that's where your money's at work, but then you're able to use it. And so essentially you eliminate, the idea is you kind of eliminate the bank and someone else being your lender and you become your own lender. But the the trick there is oftentimes banks have a whole lot more money than you or I do. Right. (laughs) So if you're looking for big ticket items, you have to have large amounts of money Mm -hmm. to then use to then fund the things of your life. Okay. So you... You buy permanent life insurance, you're putting X amount of money into it a month mm-hmm. or year. And then the idea here is that when you need to borrow money rather than going to the bank, you borrow from your life insurance. Yes. Now, how does that affect the life insurance policy? It depends. So there's different ways to borrow money from your policy. Some people, the technical term is like a surrender where you actually take your money out. Mm. And then it's it's completely out of the policy. Sometimes with that, you can encounter tax situations. And so most people in the life insurance world 
will try and help you do this in the most tax efficient way because everyone hates taxes and there's certain provisions within life insurance contracts and the way they're structured that can get you growth and access to your money mm-hmm. without paying taxes. And so that can sometimes be a magical piece if it's done right. Mm-hmm. So we essentially borrow money. And so I think most people, I don't know if everyone knows, but when you borrow money, you're not taxed on borrowed money. And so you'll hear, you know, rich dad say, you know, when I borrow my money, I'm not taxed. It's, yeah. it's, it's great. I have access to, I get all this money and it's tax free. Yeah. You know, like that's, and it, it's true. You know, we don't tax borrowed money. It's why high net worth people like, you know, Zuckerberg mm-hmm. doesn't take an income because it'll be income. Ta- there's income tax. Right. So he just borrows money against his value and a bank's willing to do that. And he doesn't pay any taxes. And that's kind of like everyone's up in arms. The rich don't pay taxes because there's no income coming in. So the same thing works when you borrow money. A life insurance company then will use your your life insurance policy essentially as collateral. Mm. And in our debt episode, we talked about collateralized debt right. versus uncollateralized. So when you've got like an asset and life insurance on the permanent side, a lot of people consider that to be an asset because it's a guaranteed thing that's going to get paid to you your family or something mm-hmm. that's contractually guaranteed with the life insurance company. Right. So that kind of works as the, the asset. So mm-hmm. you can borrow money and then if you pay it back, cool, you can put money back into your policy and that's sort of the revolving nature of the banking. But then if you don't pay it back and there's death benefit, then the death benefit covers the loan value. Right. So you've so. talked to me about this where should you not pay back a portion of your loan or even the entire loan, when you do pass, the life insurance company is going to basically square up and be yep. like, okay, well, you owe us X amount of money, so we're going to take that from the policy and you get the, the rest of yep. the policy. Yeah, so some of that functioning, and then, you know, I always tell people, you got to be really careful with how these are built, and we'll talk about that later, but the that sort of becomes the game, mm-hmm. and that's the, the be-your-own-banker game. And so, you know, instead of borrowing money... Like, let's say, you know, you want to buy a car. Instead of borrowing money, you know, if you've got $30,000 to buy the car, it's more advantageous to borrow the 30000 from yourself, mm-hmm. buy the car, and then pay yourself back as opposed to borrowing 30000 from someone else and paying yourself back. Mm. And sometimes people get up in arms about the idea of paying yourself back with interest because right. when you borrow money, there's usually interest tied to it. Right. And so... Most people don't like the idea of paying back something with interest. Sure. If it's your own money, like, why would I do that? Yeah. It's like, well, it's a fundamental piece to, even if you buy something with cash, you need to pay yourself back or refill your savings with interest Mm -hmm. or else you've lost money. Right. And most people don't think about paying themselves back with interest. And that's where they don't operate like a bank. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and earn interest and try and think in terms of that. So that's interesting. So, so in that idea, you're saying if you had a savings account that you had, let's say you had 30 grand in a savings account, yep. earmarked for a car, you then take that 30 grand, you buy the car. Great, you have a new car, you don't have payments on it. But if you don't pay yourself, that, not only if you don't pay that 30 grand back, but 30 grand plus because you essentially borrowed from yourself. Yep to pay it. So ideally you should be putting in 30 grand plus 
an X amount of money just to even keep up with the inflation rate. Yes. Because otherwise that money is devaluing. And that's, and that's the difference. And this is when I talk to people about getting some sort of economic model going for their planning and for their way they're doing their finances. Mm-hmm. The one of the biggest differences between people that grow money and people that stay flat is the people that grow money know that they need to pay themselves back with interest or else they're losing ground. Mm. And when you pay yourself back with interest, which seems really funny, <laughs> like yeah. for most people to get this, but yeah. when you start looking at it and going like, okay, to replenish my savings back to 30, I really need to replenish it back to 35 to be at the spot I should be. Right. Because if you use that money, then it, and like in your account, like four and a half percent, well, you better be paying yourself back at f- with at four and a half percent interest, or else you're losing the value of that mo- that the money could have gained. It's an right. opportunity cost of borrowing money. Yeah, <laughs> and so that's why people borrow other people's money. Right, and and all of those different things start to come yeah. into play. I think it's also because since borrowing from life insurance is collateralized, it's also a lower interest rate than if you were to borrow money for a car. Yeah, oftentimes, yeah. Yeah. So every, and this is where, you know, every policy and every company functions a little different. And then some companies, this is is where some of the weirdness comes in to knowing how to get a good thing built, Mm -hmm. is some companies, if you borrow your money, because technically your money never left your account, they'll still credit you Right. Money. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll, they'll pretend like, well, they, because your money never actually leaves your account because you borrow life insurance money, then your money is still earning as if it had never left. Right. So, you're, so your $1 is working overtime, working yeah, double you, time for you. you. Essentially, and that's yeah. the thing of, that's how people, people understand that they want their money working in two places instead of one. Mm-hmm. And most of us learn that your dollar can only be in one place at a time. Right. And so if it's in the bank, it's only earning whatever the bank's giving you. If you take it out, it stops earning. But you can use that dollar for something else. People that do this well and understand it start to understand that you can start making your money work in two places. Mm-hmm. It's even like when people borrow the equity in their home. like the, Their home value can still be going up with the market, but they can actually remove some of the cash to then deploy it elsewhere. elsewhere. Yeah. And so when you start, this is another fundamental, like, stair-step wealth building and seeing some some growth mm-hmm. is starting to get some dollars working in two places at the same time right which is very hard and it, it t- took my brain a long time to start to figure this out yeah and start to understand it and i have to credit oddly enough Dave for really? getting me interested in life insurance about nine years ago yeah so because I was look, going through his program, yeah. and he said, you know, the famous buy term and invest the difference, mm-hmm. and you know, and permanent life insurance is the worst. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, well, I want to understand why he says that, right? And I also want to build like the opposite. And so this is again where, if you're listening to this, you probably fall on the spectrum of either, you know, you say the word whole life, and it's like run (laughs) like it's the worst thing ever or if you hear permanent insurance you're like oh it's super awesome and and so that was trying to understand some of that and and when people have an open mind about it they can start to understand 
why so many people talk about it on the internet, why people use it, mm -hmm. why we hear about rich people using it. Mm -hmm. Eric Gunderson wrote a book called The Rockefeller Method, you know, of how they've used it. Sure. And you start understanding some of it, and then you can go like, oh, maybe it's not as bad, but it also, not all of it's the best. <laughs> right. So that's where, you know, I started looking at it real seriously and was like, oh, this is really interesting. Right. But this is not easy to understand. Yeah. I also think it's interesting because you once told me that the, you know, some of the biggest investors in permanent life insurance are banks. Yeah. Yeah. It's essentially the way we look at it is banks keep what's known as tier one capital. Like their, their most precious dollars, their highest level dollars, they just, they just buy life insurance. And you're like, huh? Yeah. Like I've asked some people like, do you think banks use their own products to grow their money? You mean like the money that people deposit in there? Yeah. So like, do you think the, like, do you think the bank uses their own savings accounts? Oh. That they offer the consumer? Oh, I guess not, huh? No, no. <laughs> so banks, banks have to either lend money or put money to work. And right. so, but banks also have to keep a level of safety. And so, and banks are way better at understanding money rules mm -hmm. and taxes and growth and access to capital than all of us. Right. So, but yeah, banks, and you can look it up. It's called bank-owned life insurance. And don't listen to the people that are like, the, you know, the permanent life insurance haters. And they'll say like, well, why do banks do it? A good argument for against is not when he says, well, those bankers are just dumb. <laughs> it's like, you mean to tell me that JP Morgan Chase keeping $20 billion in life insurance is because they don't know what they're doing. Right. Bank of America, 18 billion or something like that in life insurance. And it's all public because banks have to show their records. Mm -hmm. And then you start asking like, well, why in the world would banks keep so much cash there? Mm -hmm. And then really like, if you, if you got time, go down that rabbit hole. I love going down that rabbit hole with people, yeah. helping them understand why they do it. And it's because of the, you know, the earning nature of it, the tax nature of it, and mm -hmm. the residual benefit of, you know, if, you know, if their CEO dies, they're getting a crap ton of money <laughs> right? for for their savings account, basically. And, and then when you also understand when they need cash, they can go grab that 18 billion and throw it, throw it somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then they know that they want their dollar working in two different places. Right. And then the, the last thing to it is when they also are looking at like reserve amounts like they need that money working mm -hmm. and they need it they need it growing somewhere but right. but safe and one of the things that banks know that a lot of people don't know is that large life insurance companies are the best money managers and cash managers on the planet well wow. and i have no reservation in saying that because, and they've, they've been doing it for a very, very long time. Right. And they, they are profitable every single year. And, you know, don't listen to the people that say, well, they're only profitable because they're taking your money and, you know, laughing all the way to the bank. It's like, no, they generate billions of dollars of profits for their customers every year, mm -hmm. like clockwork. 
And some of them, it's like, oh, they were profitable during the Civil War. <laughs> oh, they were profitable during the Great Depression. Yeah. They were profitable during each of the world wars, you know, through the housing crisis of 2008, mm -hmm. through these massive things that you're like, well, someone's doing it right if they're right. <laughs> if they're profitable. Yeah, if the banks are failing, but the life insurance companies are still succeeding and growing, then, you know, who's who's doing the better job there? Yeah, and if you think about it too, like, especially like there's a handful of really large life insurance carriers. Mm -hmm. And you look at like, okay, did any of them take money during the bailouts of like 08 when the banks, all of the banks that we used on a daily basis got so much money mm -hmm. to stay alive. But like, did these life insurance companies take money? It's like, oh no, actually they were the ones helping lend money. And then, you know, you can get deeper down, down right. the rabbit hole and realize like, oh, when banks need blocks of money, they're mm -hmm. talking like they need a billion dollars to be able to loan out. Right. They buy blocks of money from large life insurance carriers and life insurance carriers are willing to loan, you know, yeah, the bank a billion dollars at 2% and then the bank can go loan it at five. So it works out really well for everyone. Right. It's, it's safe money on the life insurance side and they don't, they are good at what they do and then they, you know, it's good for the bank. Yeah. So it's this, it's this really interesting system that I think if people, and you've said it before, just if people understood banking better and started to think more like a bank right. with their own personal finances, things would start to change in some of their... Yeah, th that, that brings me to, I was going to I was gonna go back to what you said earlier. I feel like I just talked an awful lot. No, that was great. I, also, I mean, I also, you know, part of me wants to go into like, why is it that life insurances manage their money better than banks too? That might be a whole bigger discussion. But my curiosity just kind of peaked with that. But what I wanted to get into was, you know, you, you said how when banks get your money, they don't put it in a savings account. They use it. They utilize it. They invest it. They put it towards something. Yeah. The second they receive a dollar from you, they put it to work doing something. Yep. And I think that's part of the, you know, the being your own banker. It's more than just finding a tool or vehicle to use to put your money in it's it's how you think about using the money about making yeah. sure that it's you know there are some gurus you know who talk about like they're little workers you know each each dollar is a little worker and you want to make sure they work and and um and there's definitely something to that of making sure that your money isn't just sitting in a safe savings account earning like 0.01% that they're actually like being put into something that will earn you and earn value. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of like where we, you know, if you listen, there's some building block things that we've talked about here of like, okay, when you, you know, building on the idea of collateralized debt, building on the idea of having your money working and sweeping money into different buckets and moving it further into the system. Mm -hmm. And then that's, I mean, banks, are really good at doing that. They have to keep a certain amount on hand. They have to put a certain amount safely and in tax advantage way, they invest a lot mm -hmm. and they loan 10 times more than they take in. Right. <laughs> so it's one of those things where it's like the second, like you said, the second they get money, it's immediately put to work. And that's, I think a fundamental difference of why 
we as individuals sometimes don't think that way. Yeah. We need the money to stay put so that we can then use it if we need it. Right. And, and we don't have the option, you know, most of us can't go spend 10 times our paycheck. Right. Because, you know, we don't operate well, that, the same way. Yeah. But when you start thinking about, and this is helping people understand on the permanent life insurance side, people oftentimes are averse to it because they see it as a cost. And yes, and in these, it, I always say that the the true cost of permanent life insurance is commitment. Yeah, <laughs> it's a high commitment. It plan. is. Yeah, and there's flexibility with some of them, but in general, it's a high commitment plan and, and a commitment to living and saving and growing your money in a certain way. Right. And and that cost commitment sometimes freaks people out, as yeah. well as like they look at it, it's like, well. And they'll say like, oh, well, term is 10 bucks for way more death benefit. This is 400 bucks for half the death benefit. Yeah. It's like, what a ripoff. Right. It's like, well, that's not, that's not the whole story. <laughs> and, and that's also where like I try and help people understand. And maybe when we talk about, you know, a couple of the key things to ask when you're meeting with a life insurance person. Right. It's important to understand like, okay, where's the cost? Like, is it a cost? Mm-hmm. And, or is it a behavioral yeah. shifting of how you do things? Right. Yeah, I will say, because I invested in, a, in a, a mutually owned whole life insurance, I think it's about, th- about three years ago, maybe a little more. And when I first did it, it was a lot of money. It did feel like, oh man, this is a lot of money, like going into this. And when you, when you first do it, you don't, you don't really see a lot of growth happening in the beginning. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you just, you just feel like you're putting all this money away and you don't necessarily feel that immediate benefit from it. But now that's been, you know, three to four years of having it, it's now at a place where it's starting to, I'm starting to actually see that growth and realizing, Oh, I have this amount of money that I can now do something with and trying to like look at my finance and trying to have that banking mentality yep. and kind of playing with it mm-hmm. a little bit. So it does take time to kind of, to kind of get there yeah. with it. And the banking thing, when you, like, it's expensive to start a bank. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, there, I always think of it in terms of, like, there's startup cost. Yeah. And, you know, but it, once it, once it gets built, mm-hmm. it can do, if it's built well, yeah, it can, it can start to do things for you. Yeah. And I also wanted to, you know, because it is so expensive, there is, you know, there are some of you listening who might be living paycheck to paycheck mm-hmm. and not know at all how they could afford to to do something like that. Because some people, when they think about putting their money to work, they're like, I am, I'm paying rent. Like, it is <laughs> yeah. working for me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm managing that. And I think the idea of, like, putting money, uh, not even putting money away, but just taking some of those dollars and investing it in a way to, to just just to kind of get that going to start that it can be really daunting I yeah. think you know one one of the, I think one of the most unhelpful things about the way people chat about life insurance via social media is it's always under this uh, like millionaires do this you should too yeah like, oh look what happens if you put a hundred thousand dollars into into permanent life insurance yeah. and it's like it that's not no most one, people's situation. Yeah, most people can't relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that becomes an, it, you know, we can either tune off because of that and be like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> or the other side is like, it 
because of the financial commitment usually tied to it, you got to be careful with how you start mm-hmm. and, and then you can do a bunch of different things right. after you start. But that's where someone should be helping you figure out where, where the starting spot is. Mm-hmm. And then, really understanding like if you're really ready to do the high commitment plan. All right. Taking a, taking a break to discuss more about killing sacred cows. Yes. And I think we both agree that chapter number nine is one of our favorites. Yes. Maybe Uh, our top chapter. Uh, yeah, it's it's up there. Chapter 9 titled, A Penny Saved is a Penny Earned. And I was just talking to you about how I, myself, it might just be the way I grew up, but my mindset is like, you know, as long as it does the job I need to do, it's fine. I don't need the nicest thing. Yeah. And I just had this experience where I needed a new phone. And so I went to get a new phone. And I was looking for a new iPhone and I was just going to go in to get the cheapest iPhone they had, like the, the, the late, not the latest model, but like the older, the yeah. oldest model possible. And they had this deal where basically because my existing phone I had was in such nice condition, I could trade it in. Yeah. And they basically upgrade me to the newest iPhone for essentially free. And I was like, well, yeah. Like, let's do that. That's great. All I had to do, I'd like upgraded my plan a little bit, but like it, it, to me, it was worth it. I was like, okay, yeah. let's do it. And so I've had the newest iPhone now for like a couple months and it's blown my mind. <laughs> I was just telling you like my battery, the battery alone. Yeah. Like I have not dropped and I use my phone frequently. It's not like I don't turn it on all day, but it's not once dropped below 50% since I've gotten it. Yeah. And my old iPhone that I had the iPhone seven for the longest time and that was i was constantly fighting the battery on that one and using this this the newest thing out and how nice it is kind of opened my mind to be like man i should really buy nicer stuff (laughs) because i know for a fact even though i spent a little bit more money to get it like it it's going to last me a very long time and the, the way technology is aside from the camera which i'm not a photographer so cameras aren't like the most important thing to me it's going to last me a while before I need to buy, think about getting a new phone. And so that idea of like buying something of higher quality for a little bit more money so that it lasts you longer, not only improves your lifestyle, but may actually save you money in the long run. Yeah. It's a weird thing. So that the chapter kind of goes over this idea that like the myth that we all believe is that price is what matters the most. Yes. And so you just you buy on price and it's i mean we're talking about you know life insurance on this thing most people buy life insurance based on trying to find the cheapest yep. thing they can get mm-hmm. and oftentimes it doesn't mean the other side of like you don't get the value yeah and out of it by being by only looking at cost and i think that's one of the things he's trying to help us understand it's like we have this idea <laughs> that what's most important is that I get it for the cheapest. Yeah. And then what's really most important economically and over, over your life is to, you know, find things of high value. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're the most expensive. 
because oftentimes being expensive doesn't equate to value. No, yeah. But it oftentimes people that are penny pinching almost it's that old thing they're penny smart and dollar foolish. Yes. And yeah. that really has some really bad effects yeah. on the way people use and do money things. So because sometimes they'll look and be like, oh, why do you have really nice shoes? It's like, I only need one pair. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to like, yeah. I need to, f- you know, have four yeah. pairs of cheap shoes. He does tell a story about how he was like shopping for running shoes and he wanted a very specific brand because he uses them a lot. So he wanted to get the nicer pair, which is the most expensive. And even the salesman was offering him cheaper stuff. And he was like, no, I want the expensive one. The salesman was like, are you sure I have these other options? Yeah, because most people think in terms of just price. Yeah. And what's really interesting because, you know, I'm partially in a world of sales and, and positioning financial products and things and realizing like most people think that price is the is the ticket right. to get them the, the sale. And oddly enough, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so the people that are the people that are out there trying to just buy things they're just out there looking for price so they don't want to meet with me they're probably they're probably out there on online just you know what's the cheapest x y and z yeah and and then you know but there's no value in what they're getting or doing right and it's costing (laughs) it costs them in the long run yeah much more than you know if they if they didn't it's like it's like why buy used cars with warranties it's like if you, you got a warranty man it's a little bit more to get a warranty but on repairs <laughs> like, yeah you know so it's not it's not that you buy the cheapest car you know whatever the sticker price is yeah but over the over the long haul the people that buy a car and they think about maintenance they think about yes gas they think about you know like the car that my wife wants it you know only gets you, know, you have to put in premium gas Mm. It only gets like 10 miles to the gallon <laughs> and it's maintenance is incredibly expensive. So even if I found a cheap one, if, yeah, it's still- the total cost over, you know, the next five years, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to be outrageous. And so then I'm like, no, we're only going to buy like a Honda or a Toyota. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And she's like, okay, yeah. but yeah, the one, the, the part that really stood out to me is it tells, it, 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 he talks about the direct relationship between spending and the quality of life. And I highlighted a a large paragraph, but I'll just, the one sentence of it that really stands out is, every dollar you spend is a vote for the kind of world in which you want to live. And this has the idea of like, you know, if you spend your money on cheap things, you're gonna live in a cheap world, surrounded by cheap stuff. Yeah. Or do you wanna live, you know, do you wanna pay a little bit more for a higher quality, for a little bit higher value? Yeah. And just thinking about it in that way, because you know, we've heard, politically how you know you vote with your dollar but this is this is not necessarily talking about that this is more talking about you spending money to live in a certain type of world that you want to live in and that's not an excuse to be extravagant you know i'm not talking about spending a lot of money Mm -hmm. on you know needlessly nice things but on things you do need like a fridge or a car yeah spending a little bit more money to have a nicer version of that so that it lasts you a while and gives you a higher quality of life that might be something to think about yeah and i i think it's one of the great great sort of things is that your money it doesn't require tons but it if you direct it 
in a way that that you want good things can happen yeah and but if you're only thinking price you're probably not going to get only going on price doesn't get people upward momentum right it it just it just doesn't yeah and it doesn't it doesn't grow the way we think that if it, oh if we spend less money you know things will work out better right it just it's not really the way things work so yeah it's a fun chapter it is a yeah it's it was one of the more eye-opening chapters for me definitely i think at another episode we can get into the true differences because you you know earlier you named a bunch and i don't think we'd have time in this episode to truly like properly go through them but you do have a list of questions that if you are thinking about for someone out there thinking about getting permanent life insurance, there are questions you should ask the agent you're dealing with to make sure that it is built for you and that, you know, not, you know, just like all life insurances aren't built the same. All agents aren't no built no. the same. There are agents out there who truly have your best interest. And there are agents out there who just, there are agents out there who just want to earn that commission. Yes. And so you have to make sure that you're sussing out which of those you're dealing with. Yeah. And I would say, like, you got to really trust the person because in the financial world, people make commissions off of the business and stuff that that they do, that we do. Yeah. And for some people, it's like if you earn a commission, that automatically means you're a horrible human being (laughs) because you're only in it for yourself. And there's a lot of people that probably could fall into that camp. There's also a lot of people that really know how the stuff works and want to help people figure it out and do it well. Mm -hmm. I think I'm one of those that it's like, I love to build these things. And then I also tell people the better they're built, the less commissions someone will make on the policy. Oh, interesting. So the more bland and normal, the better it is for the agent. Okay. And so, there's this weird relationship between the types of plans built and the commission structures. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so the better I build something for you, the less money I will make. Yeah. <laughs> so that's also something I always try and tell people is like the more sophisticated the plan, the better the plan, mm-hmm. the person making it is putting themselves at a disadvantage. Right. Cause I could build it a different way and make two times more money. Sure. But it wouldn't benefit you. Right. And so, it's just always an aside. I don't, you know, there's so many different ways people get paid in this industry of finance. And so don't don't necessarily be scared of it, but also make sure that the person is knowing what they're talking about. And with right. these questions, I think you'll quickly be able to tell if the person you're meeting with actually knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they should be able to be very specific, very clear, and be able to explain to you exactly how something works yeah so so what are these and these questions are also about the mindset that you should have going in to purchasing because like you said it's a huge financial commitment that you're signing up for yeah yeah yeah. and it i always tell people there's sort of two commitments that i see whenever someone starts to move in this direction is one there's a commitment to the plan (laughs) and then there's also a commitment to to an upward trajectory of your financial situation. Okay. That both of those, it doesn't matter whether it's life insurance or heavily investing for your retirement, trying to buy a home. 
all financial progress is high commitment <laughs> and and requires resources. Right. And so when people are trying to, f- I'm trying to feel out if someone's ready for that journey, mm-hmm. starting a business, you, know, you name it. There's all sorts of different ways that, you know, it's like, okay, are you ready for the commitment and are you ready to grow? Right. And you'll grow more than just financially. It'll stretch you in so many ways. Yeah. So that's kind of like, I want to make sure that they're ready for that. Okay. Otherwise, the, a high commitment plan is not going to work. So you need right. something, you need something maybe a lot more flexible sure. or, or things like that. Yeah. But the, the first question I always tell people that they need to ask the person that they're meeting with is, is the premium, the money that you're going to be putting in, is it fixed or is it flexible? Mm. And the reason for that is with every single one of these things, there should be a bit of both. Oh, interesting. There should be a bit of fixed cost, and then there should be some variable cost. Now, not all plans should be built with both. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, like for starter plans, it's like now it, it's more like fixed. Like you're not in a you're not at an income level where it makes sense to build the plan more flexible. Mm. You're not thinking of putting in, you know, two three times more money. Sure. And so then it can be disadvantaged there can be some disadvantages to building in extra flexibility mm. if the person's not not ready. capitalizing on that. Yeah. yeah. And so it can end up costing you more to do it. So, okay. but understanding is it, is it what part of this is fixed? What part of this is flexible? Can I put more in? Can I put less in? Mm. What happens if I put more in? Mm-hmm. What, you know, does the IRS get mad? Yeah. Or if I put less in, does the policy die? Right. <laughs> so, which I think that, you know, these kind of sort of flow where it's like, okay, is it flexible or is it fixed? What is flexible? What's fixed? Mm-hmm. How much can I do? This is where the questions start to, we'll put these in, in the notes. Yeah. Just for like put a walk show notes. Definitely. And so the other thing is when you start looking at these at, and you ask about, okay, what are the minimums and the maximums? What happens to those, to the policy when I do both of those things. Sure. Because there are ways where certain policies, if you do the minimums, they could run out of money and what's known as lapse in the oh. insurance world. Okay. So there's certain ones that, you know, that gets into the sort of the next piece of like, can this policy die? Oh. <laughs> and I've seen, I do a lot of life insurance reviews for people. Most of them at some point, I look at it and go, at some point, two things are going to happen. The insurance company is going to call you and say, hey, you need to you need to give us a lot of money right now or else this is going to die. Yeah. Or they're going to call you and say, hey, your policy lapsed. See ya. Mm. And then people have been thinking that they're doing this cash value growth and savings. And that's true. But at some point, the cost, a lot of cost of the policies can rise. Mm. <laughs> and if that starts to rise and you don't put more money in, match that they'll start eating the the cash will start paying for the policy to a point of making it lapse or die okay and so that's really important of asking like can this die right and what what things will make this die right some some of them it's just well if you stopped paying the premiums then we'll give you a call and be like you know what's what's going on (laughs) yeah or other ones it's just like no it's just 
because the cost rises underneath it and you don't know then, which is another question, does the cost increase yeah. over time? Because that can kill a policy. Or is the cost level set for the entire time? And then all policies will have, you know, some sort of cost throughout the policy. Mm -hmm. So you want to understand, like, does that get higher? Mm -hmm. <laughs> does, you know, at some point, is that just going to be through the roof? And it's going to be, you know, well, I was putting $100 into this thing, but now you're telling me the cost is 300 <laughs> Right. It's like, whoa, <laughs> in order to have any sort of cash value. So those are a couple of the things with the, with the cost. And then there's different ones that have things where it's like, no, the cost stops at a certain spot. Mm -hmm. Like you can have this thing be paid up and never put another penny in it. Won't, and there's no fee after this, this date. Mm. Or some of them it's like, well, because of the, the features and the structures, the life insurance company might actually continue to pay you and that's more than the cost of the of the policy yeah not to mention your cash is still growing so right. there's there's all these different little yeah. little things that when you start getting into it and then you can really probably from these questions you can probably go like oh if i start asking someone these questions and they don't know <laughs> your confidence in buying whatever they're trying to sell you will probably right probably go out the window right because i'm listening to these questions going like I don't even know why I would need to, like, I, I feel like you would have to really know why you want the light. You'd have to like be really communicative to the agent of like, this is why I want this policy. Yeah. This is what I'm looking to do. And so here are my list of questions to help me get there. Yeah. You also, you briefly mentioned like making sure the IRS isn't mad. If, if you are someone lucky enough to like put a lot of money in, it is like tax-free growth, but there is a point where you can only put so much in without the IRS kind of side-eyeing you. Right. Yes. Yeah. And that, there's, there's a technical term for it. Uh, it's called a modified endowment contract. It's just boring. Really IRS. sexy stuff yeah. right there. Or a mech is <laughs> how we shorten it. So most, most people will plan and build stuff so that it won't do that when trigger a taxable event. Mm. But I would say like these, these are essentially, these are contracts that are governed by IRS law and things. So you can throw in one sense unlimited amounts of money but you might break it and cause a tax situation mm. and that the one of the key features for these and why a lot of people use these especially as they start to earn more money is because of the tax nature of how these policies right. are treated by the irs people love the idea that there's tax-free growth and tax-free advantages to these things mm -hmm. and then death benefits low income tax free to beneficiaries mm -hmm. and things like that. So there's, there's a lot of different things like that, but it's also because they're so regulated, we also don't get to advertise them in, in life insurance world, just like crazy. <laughs> Cause the other thing I always think about is like, okay, what if everybody saved all of their money outside the tax system? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, that'd be bad for taxes. Yeah. <laughs> and so there, there's a few of those things that kind of, <laughs> kind of are, are part of, part of the equation. Sure. So, but yeah, so I was trying to think of like, so one of the, one of the questions, like these are not necessarily functional about like premium or like the, that nature, but asking the person, how do I use this money while I'm alive? Oh yeah. Cause and that's, that's the whole point of being the bankers that you want to be able to use it. Yes. Right. Yes. And so then they should be able to tell you how the loan process works. 
and what essentially what the rate is, what it looks like to pay them back. Most policy loans are what's known as unstructured, so they're mm-hmm. flexible in how you pay them back. And then you know, how does the money revolve if, you know, if I use it? Mm-hmm. Like, and so, so understanding how do I use this money and then does, what happens to the money if I'm using it? Do I, is something still happening? Is it still growing? Is it still earning your promised rate of return or, right. you know, do I still have market access or do I still get dividends if I'm, if I'm using my money? Some companies say yes, some companies say no. And so understanding that is really important mm-hmm. in, okay, so if I borrow money, what hap- like what's happening? Right. And then that will, that will sort of help, I think, you understand a little bit more yeah. and it'll start getting your mind a little bit more wrapped around like, oh, I'm using this money, Yeah, <laughs> which is usually one of the things people find to be one of the hardest sort of hurdles to understand of how you can start to use the money. Yeah, it did. It did take a while for me to kind of get there. I had to, like I said, you know, I had to read a few books and then it was kind of like a, I was like lying awake in the middle of the night and then it kind of clicked for me and I was like, oh, I think I know what I can do here, you know, but it, but it just takes getting to that. Yeah. That point. Yeah. So the couple other like cash value growth things is I want everyone to like lock this in <laughs> in 10 years. Do you have more money available to you than you've put in? Well, because as we know in the market, that's not always the case. It's not always the case. But in many of these policies that I look over, that's the first thing I look at. Okay, do you have more cash available than you at year 10? Mm-hmm. In a lot of policies, like around, you know, you should see that somewhere in year 7 to 10. But in most cases, what I see is, Okay, so you've been paying $200 a month into this policy, and at year 10, you've got $2,000. Wow. Like, so you put in 20 and you've got two. Yeah. Like, and so sometimes those numbers are very, very off. Yeah. And then I'm like, and I always ask people, like, do you, like, oh, you're putting money into this, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Do you want to see more money in this in 10 years than you've put in? Yes, I do. And so then I'll look at people and go, well, in this particular policy, that will never happen. And that's just because of the way it was built, right? The way it was Whoever built. built it for them didn't do their job right. Yeah, and it, it's not to say that it's a bad bad policy, but it won't do the cash. If you're using this for cash accumulation, mm-hmm. you got to really understand how can it accumulate the cash. Right. <laughs> and so and most people, especially like people that are less experienced in their life insurance career or in their understanding of how the products work, they're they might not even know (laughs) and they might not be far enough along to then go, Oh yes, this is why it doesn't have as much cash value. And they'll tell you like, Oh, it grows cash and it's tax free and you get to use it and get a death benefit. All those things might be true, but when you actually get into it, it's like, well, most people want to see more money after 10 years. Yeah. And so the other thing, the other reason why I look at, look at that, on the 10 year thing is cause then I can say, okay, where's the cost? If you've put in 10,000 and you have 12, how much did this cost you? It didn't cost me anything. Didn't cost you anything. It cost you commitment. Right. It may be time, but in these there, there should be a point 
within like the first decade where there's more money in the thing than you've put in. And so at that point, you then realize, oh, the life insurance company is paying me to have my cash stored in here and they're giving me a death benefit. <laughs> and so the, when that light bulb goes on for people, then they start thinking differently. Yeah. Of like, yes, it was commitment. And yes, maybe in the first couple of years, you didn't see equal dollar for dollar that you've put into this account. But at some point, the life insurance company is paying you yeah. to have to have this thing. Yeah. And that's when some light bulbs start to go on. But that, right. that 10 year thing is really important. And and I think it psychologically makes sense for people of like, oh, I do want more money in 10 years. Yeah, that <laughs> like, does that does click. I mean, I've talked about how I don't like I still I'm still not invested in the market. Yeah. And uh, but that the life insurance is like this is a safe way where I know guaranteed, oh, in 10 years, I'm going to have more money than what I put in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's also part of the commitment thing. Like a lot of people are looking at, you know, how can I turn $10 into a hundred dollars this week? <laughs> and it's like, well, generally the market is the only place for like high, high return right. stuff. But even, you know, you'd have to get, you know, 10, that's a crazy return, 10, 15% return yeah. or you know, hundred percent return in, and I always say like the higher return you're trying to chase, the more risk you're taking on. Yeah. It's usually the way it works. And so, you know, people oftentimes are like, Oh, I don't see the, I don't see this, you know, growing as fast as maybe something else. And it's like, well, that might be true, but there's more than just growth that you have to factor in. Yeah. So, and that kind of leads me to the last thing in, in sort of the question asking piece of like, you got to really understand how the money that you put into this thing grows. So, cause most people, and especially there's a lot of stuff about like IULs and mm. on, on the internet, they, mm -hmm. they're sort of, you know, we won't get too deep, but like there's the index of, universal index life. universal life. And there's yeah. a lot of like, it's, I think it's easy to sell because it's like you get market growth, no loss and you get insurance. Cool. It's like, oh, that sounds great. Yeah. And it, it's cheaper and it, this thing and that thing. So, but with those, it's like, you got to understand with, and with everything, it's like, okay, when you put $300, $500, $1,000 in, what happens to that $1,000? Mm -hmm. Like, okay. And then you, the insurance agent should then say, okay, yeah, the $1,000 goes in and X dollars goes to, the cost of insurance. Think of that as like your term policy. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, and then I always tell people like insurance companies take on a huge amount of risk at the, at the front of these arrangements because the minute you put the premium in just one premium, they're on the hook for that entire death benefit. So if you died the next day, you got a good rate of return because you put in a hundred <laughs> and they're giving your family 300,000. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so that's part of, that's part of some of the, the equation. And so the cost of insurance comes out. Are there any other fees, other other pieces, other components, where the money then that's rem and usually what happens is all of those things come out first, and then whatever's left over then gets the growth, mm. gets the gets the return. Sure. And so with traditional whole life insurance, that's not exactly how it works. But with all the universal lives and the and the variable products and things that have any market correlation, 
oftentimes you see is the 300 goes in and then $60 <laughs> gets growth. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, we'll give you 15% growth, but then it's only on that 60 bucks. So then when you look at it, it's like, okay, so you spent 60, <laughs> you know, uh, you got $60 yeah. growing, but you spent $300, $300 to have $60 grow. Right. And so understanding how, like, okay, when you put the dollar in, how does it get sliced? And then on that side is like, okay, then how does it grow? Mm -hmm. Do I actually, like, some of them have direct market participation where you are directly invested in mutual funds. Mm -hmm. Others, it's like, it's, it's not that. It's just we give you a guaranteed interest rate. Other ones, it's dividends. Other ones, it's we'll credit you an interest if, if an index goes up or down. And then you also need to understand with all of those different things, can that change? Right. And then how, like, so if they're giving you an index, is that index guaranteed for the life of this contract? I've never seen one that is. <laughs> and then the interest, you know, the insurance company, normally they'll say somewhere in the disclosures, like, oh, the interest is subject to change. Sure. Then I always ask, okay, like, okay, who benefits from an interest rate change? <laughs> like, you think they're going to raise it from 15 to 20? No, yeah. <laughs> or are they, you know, in most of the cases they go down. Yeah. And so then that starts to open people's eyes too about the, the contracts or the policies that they've got. Sure. And then that's where when you start putting these pieces together, mm -hmm. then you kind of get either a deep understanding or a real good, clear right. picture of where things are going and what you can expect. Sure. Right. So all, all of these questions you just went over, they're all there now to help you be mindful about when you are purchasing a permanent life insurance policy. And again, we'll put all these questions in the show notes. So if anyone, yeah, it'll be, oh, and we'll, we'll label it like a checklist. Cause I know it was a lot. And it, it, yeah, it was. And some of you might've gotten lost while listening. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll, we'll put something in the notes for you. And even as clear as I can be almost every client that I meet with about life insurance probably gets lost <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Also, uh, I think on our Instagram at, uh, at what's with money, we'll, we'll try and put something up as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. And that way you can, you know, any one of these questions will sort of start to lead you down a rabbit hole with someone trying to mm -hmm. position life insurance as a, as a financial product for you. Sure. And uh, we'll have other episodes about life insurance. This won't be the last one, but if anyone has any specific questions, again, feel free to ask us questions, leave us a review, review on either um, Apple podcast or Spotify, yep. and you can ask us questions there. Ron, do you have kind of rounding this out a penny for your thoughts yeah. when it comes to being your own banker and using life insurance? Yeah. I, I mean, I love, I love life insurance if it's done right. And one of the, I think one of the biggest things people can do is have good life insurance built for them. I think they will see the rewards. And so I'm, I'm really glad for all this social media stuff, kind of reintroducing it and repackaging the idea, these old ideas and yeah. these things have been around for, you know, in some cases, you know, 200 years, these, yeah, these there are some companies around. out there that have been doing it for, yeah, over, over a century. Yeah. And well so over. that's, that's a key thing in, in, in how this stuff works. And so I'm glad that people are opening up their minds to it more and, and seeking to understand it. And that there's, you know, I think there's better people out there working on behalf of people, better understanding about how it works mm -hmm. as opposed to just the blanket. It's bad. Yeah. It's like, no, I've, I've seen a lot of bad life insurance out there 
and I've seen some just amazing, great stuff be built for people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, open your mind. I'd encourage everyone to chat with someone about life insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if your finance guy doesn't include life insurance in their planning, I'd encourage you to ask them why. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's important. The same way as if you're, you know, you want people that have their, the ability to do different things. So, you know, you got to be able to do life insurance and investments. You got to be able to do, you, know, you got to have both things. So, because it, it can really work really nicely together. Yeah. And there you have it. Wonderful. Thanks for listening to What's Up With Money. We'll continue our conversation in the next episode. But until then, please subscribe to rate and review the show. Giving a rating or review helps other people find the show. So if you like what you're hearing and you want others to hear it too, please give us a rating, share us on social media, or both. Reviews are also where you can leave us questions. So if you have any financial questions for us, please leave them in the review. We may answer it on the show. We love questions. We'll be back next week to continue our conversation and hopefully get a little bit closer to answering the age-old question, What's What's up up with money? Here we go. Some people are peddling whole life insurance like it's a good investment for everybody, but you know better because you follow me, Vivian, your rich BFF, your favorite Wall Street girly who can break it down. There are two main types of insurance. Term life you're probably familiar with, you pay money so when you your family gets a little something something. Whole life also has this death benefit but also has an investment component that allows its value to grow over time. And a lot of scammers on social media are selling whole life insurance, IULs, MPIs, whatever they want to call them, as a good investment for everyone. But in reality, these are only good investments for high net worth folks because the upfront fees are so high. In fact, MetLife determined that a 30-year-old male could pay $672 a year for 20 years of term life insurance and $8,320 a year for whole life insurance. For the average person, the upfront cost of whole life insurance would be better invested in the stock market, you'd see meaningfully higher returns, and for all the times that whole life was touted as this amazing investment, they miss one big caveat, it only makes sense if you already have a lot of money. So how do you feel about that? The idea that whole life only makes sense if you are a high net worth individual. Well, for what it makes perfect sense if you're a high net worth individual because of the tax advantages. So there's a couple fundamental flaws in this line of thinking. One is whole life insurance is not and never is and should never be told to anyone as an investment. It is not. That is not its principal function. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. And so <clears throat> I got a frog in my throat. You want some water? No, I'm okay. okay. I don't like water. <laughs> the uh, So for one, because then when you start talking to people about investment, then people start getting into things like, oh, well, what's the rate of return? Well, how does that compare to the market? All that kind of stuff. And you, you got to help people understand like that's, it's a completely different thing Mm -hmm. than than that so that's one fundamental sort of thing that i always hate about the people that i mean she says like peddling but like the people that talk about whole life as an investment i want them to not say that anymore Mm. and i also want people to stop thinking of whole life 
like on the, the people on the investment side, like to stop comparing whole life to an investment and thinking that they're, they're similar. And I think that's where people get into trouble of, you know, they, we've, we've talked about tools and, you know, it's like, that's where it goes to like, the other thing is like, no one should ever compare term life to whole life insurance. Mm-hmm. That's like comparing like knives with, you know, apples. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> so yes, they use the term life insurance and yes, there's death benefit. That's where the similarities stop between these two. Sure. These two things. apples and oranges. They're both fruit, but they're completely different types of fruit. Yeah. I mean, it's not even, I mean, apples and oranges are even closer in similarity than term and whole life insurance in my yeah. mind. And so that's where it, it always bothers me because then what, what the fundamental flaw in that line of thinking is then they're looking at it from a death benefit perspective and then they line it up as a cost. It's like, even in here, it's like, well, 600 bucks, you could get death benefit, but if you did a whole life, it's 8,000. Like, and then it's like that cost is, you know, if you compare it like that, it's like, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like if you could buy a hammer for eight hundred dollars and you could buy a hammer for ten thousand, why would you buy the ten thousand dollar hammer? Yeah. It's like, and so I think that's where it's easy to sort of knock on any sort of financial product, like, like you know, the four hundred one nay, not our favorite, <laughs> but it's a tool that is used has a specific purpose, and when it's used for that purpose, it can do it fine. Mm-hmm. But if you try and use a 401k for, you know, a large death benefit, it's not going it's, 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 it to, it doesn't do that well. It doesn't yeah. do these other things well. And so that's, I think it's always important of like, like, we'll, and we'll try not to knock any products or any tools or anything like that. But we'll, it's really important to understand like what tool works well for what. Right. And it's like, I always say like, you know, investments are, if you think of like investments, like a paintbrush and you think of like whole life, like a hammer or vice versa. And it's like, well, a whole life and people will say like, well, whole life insurance, it's horrible at painting a wall. And, and it's like, well, yeah, it's a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it, yeah. that's not, that's not its, its function. And so then when you compare it. Right. Cause you know, whole life still earns money. There's still growth happening. But it's not investing in terms of like market investment. Yeah, and, and you're you're using it this is again like even like talking about like the banking function and things like that. We're I will tell this to people, like it's not a rate of return game. That is not the game we're playing mm-hmm. with that tool. Yeah. And it's cause that's not its principal function. Right. And you know, Oftentimes people just blanketly say like, oh, money would be better in the market. And it's like, in some years. <laughs> yeah. But in 2000, like in 2008, most people's whole life insurance outperformed the market by 45%. Wow. So I always say that as well. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, because the market was down 40 and the whole life got five. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. that spread is, is, you know, a lot of people were very happy. Yeah. And, and you know. So, but it's also like understanding, like it's just, it's a, it's a particular type of tool. You got to get a good one that's Mm -hmm. built well and, and does the job really, really well. And, you know, if you try and make it do a different job, it's going to look like crap. (laughs) Like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense.